Welcome to episode 21 of the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of the series. In this episode, I continue my discussion of other unique content in the Gospel of St. Luke. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in episode 21 is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated. In chapter 9, verse 51, in his characteristic literary style with familiar phrases, suggesting inevitability and divine purpose, St. Luke offers readers a transition into the final stage of Jesus' earthly ministry that takes up the last half of his gospel. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Received up refers to the ascension, which St. Luke describes in chapter 24, verses 50 to 53. The illustration is a detail from a miniature illumination in gold and colored inks on parchment from the Arnstein Gospel, named at Arnstein, Germany, around 1172 A.D. from manuscript Harley 2799, folio 173B, at the British Library, London, England. The unique content begins immediately in verses 51 to 56 in an incident I referred to in episode 17 in association with the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the first step in the journey to Jerusalem, the traveling party was refused entry into an unnamed Samaritan city. Among the disciples, the brothers James and John, sons of Zebedee, asked Jesus in verse 53, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven to consume them just as Elijah did? The phrase, just as Elijah did, refers to an incident in 2 Kings 1, verses 9 to 16, in which Elijah the Tishbite called down fire from heaven, which consumed the king of Samaria and 50 of his men. The reference to Elijah is not included in all versions of the Gospel of St. Luke. St. Luke tells us in verse 55 and 56 that Jesus, quote, turned and rebuked them, unquote, saying, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Here the offer of salvation is open to all, even to the Samaritans who rejected Jesus by denying him entry into their city. Other unique content follows immediately thereafter in St. Luke's account of the sending out and the return of the 70 in Luke 10, verses 1 to 24, which comes immediately before the parable of the Good Samaritan in verses 25 to 37. Some modern translations, such as the ESV study Bible, say 72 were sent. Eastern church scholars who hold to the 70 number see a parallel between the choice of 70 and the appointment by Moses of 70 elders composed of able and truthful men who feared God, described in Exodus 18 verses 21 to 27 and Exodus 24 verse 1 
These were to act as judges over the people. There are similarities between this account and St. Luke's own account of the sending of the twelve disciples in Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. However, both the mission and the instructions are far more extensive in the sending of the seventy. The illustration is a Russian Orthodox icon of the seventy. There are many hypothetical lists of the seventy, the earliest being the work of Hippolytus of Rome, a late first century, early second century disciple of John the Apostle, Polycarp of Smyrna, and Irenaeus of Lyon in the late second century, raised in the East, and who became the earliest strong link between the traditions of the East and the West. In the Eastern Church tradition, the 70 are identified by name. If you're interested, you can find the complete list, list on page 818 of Orthodox Study Bible, colon, New Testament and Psalms. They are considered saints and their lives celebrated in Eastern Church worship on January 4th. Most prominent among the Orthodox list are the several early leaders of the Church who are mentioned in Acts of the Apostles and in the Epistles of St. Paul, including Barnabas, James the brother of the Lord, Luke, Mark, Onesimus, Philemon, Philip the deacon, Silas, Simeon, son of Cleopas, said to have succeeded James as bishop of Jerusalem, Stephen the Martyr, Timothy, Titus, and Tychicus. Jesus selected the seventy to go before him in pairs, or two by two in modern evangelical language, to quote every city and place to which he planned visits. The sending of apostles two at a time was seen as a precedent and was widely practiced in the evangelism of the early church. His instruction to them in verse 2 is one of several offertory sentences in Anglican Holy Communion in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The prayer book text uses the King James translation. Jesus also cautions them in verse 3 evoking imagery from the prophet Isaiah, Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, the prophet wrote of the faithful as lambs protected by God, one of the earliest warnings, still valid for today's evangelists, that not all who hear God's message will receive it with hospitality. The instructions to the 70 in verses 4 to 10 are very detailed. They were, take no, neither money, knapsack, nor sandals, to greet no one along the road, to go only to the places designated and not from house to house, to rely upon the host's hospitality and to eat whatever is served, to heal the sick, in the latter case pronouncing to them, that, quote, the kingdom of God has come near you, which is a phrase used twice in the narrative here in verse 9 and again in verse 11. To each home they enter, they are also to declare peace to this house and are promised that, quote, if a son of peace is there, 
your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. This message reinforces the traditional understanding of peace as meaning God's peace, not John Lennon's peace, as in the absence of war or comity among mankind. Within the instructions are a condemnation of those places which reject Jesus' teachings. You'll find that referred to in verses 10, 11, and 12, which I'll read in a minute, which includes the second use of the pronouncement that the kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into his streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. The advice to wipe the dust of cities Wipe off the dust of cities where they were rejected is also found in the instructions to the Twelve in Luke 9, 5. The two pronouncements concerning the kingdom of God suggest that the promised kingdom is not an earthly monarchy, as some Jews expected and hoped for, but a spiritual kingdom. In the account of the sending of the Seventy, three cities are specifically mentioned for condemnation. All are mentioned in Scripture only in the New Testament. They are Bethsaida in the Decapolis region of the River Jordan, principal city of the Tetrarchy of Philip mentioned in St. Luke's historical background in chapter 3, and hometown of Philip in John 1:44, Chorazin and Capernaum on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, west of the Jordan. St. Matthew mentions the condemnation of Chorazin in Matthew 11, verse 21. Capernaum was a center of Judaism in the otherwise Gentile region of Galilee. It was at Capernaum that Jesus healed the centurion's son in Matthew 8:13, Luke 7, 1-10, paid the temple tax for the disciples in Matthew 17, 24-27, drove out an unclean spirit from a man in the synagogue in Mark 1, 21-27 and Luke 4, 31-36, and healed the nobleman's son in John 4, verses 46-54. Most famously, it was the site of the long discourse between Jesus and the Jewish authorities on the subject of the bread of life, including the declaration, I am the bread of life, in John 6, verses 22 to 59. In the volume on the Gospel of St. Luke, the Tyndale Bible commentaries note that Jesus and his message were rejected in all three cities. All three cities are now only ruined. They are shown in the illustration, a map of the Holy Land in the first century from my family's Bible published in Philadelphia in 1944. Not only were the 70 given the authority mentioned above, but Jesus affirmed that in verse 16, He who hears you hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. St. Luke's account of the joyful return of the 70 in verse 17, in that account they express their amazement 
that, quote, even demons are subject to us in your name. In the verses that follow, St. Luke includes three notable statements of Christian doctrine. First, a declaration by Jesus concerning the fall of Satan, an affirmation concerning both the mission of Jesus Christ and the identity of the Father and his plan for mankind, and third, a beatitude upon the disciples. Following the declaration by the Seventy concerning the obedience to themselves of the demons, Jesus said in verses 18, 19, and 20, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The illustration is Christ in majesty and illumination in colors and gold on parchment, with Christ surrounded by symbols of the four gospel authors. From an Oxford Psalter showing scenes in the life of Christ made at Oxford in the first quarter of the 13th century and before 1220 A.D. from manuscript Royal 1DX, the Roman number for 10, folio 8V in the British Library, London, England. Traditional scholars believe that in verse 18a, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, Jesus was describing an event which took place before the creation of the world. This passage should not be separated from the similar account in Isaiah 14, 12-15, which also deals with the traditional Hebrew and Christian understanding of the nature and fate of Satan, also called the enemy, in both the Old and the New Testament. The name Lucifer is Latin, derived, derived from the Hebrew Hillel, which means day star or son of the morning, and is often represented in art by Venus, the morning star. The illustration is an oil on canvas, the temptation of Christ painted at St. Petersburg, Russia in 1872 AD by Russian realist painter Vasily Surikov. The first connection between Isaiah 14, 12-15 and Luke 10, verse 18a concerning the fall of Satan was made by Tertullian in the 3rd century. He was among the first to identify the Gospel of St. Luke, Luke as the work of Luke. The theological message of 10, 18a in, the light, in light of Isaiah 14, 12-15 and Luke 10, 20 Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven, is a warning against excessive and false pride. The illustration is an engraving of Tertullian of unknown origin and date. Now here is the NKJV text of Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 15. Note the five uses of I will. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. 
For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Sheol and the pit refer to the Hebrew understanding of the resting place of the dead. For a detailed explanation of these two terms and other similar words, see the Hades entry in the AIC bookstore publication, Layman's Lexicon. The illustration is an 11th century mosaic of Isaiah's virgin birth prophecy discussed in episode 3 at the Neomoni Monastery, Chios, Greece. As I noted in the introduction to the Gospel of St. Luke, a characteristic of St. Luke's account is the emphasis he places on the importance of the Holy Spirit, a characteristic also shared with the Gospel of St. Matthew. He did so again in Acts of the Apostles. His narrative in his Gospel in verse 21 states that Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. In Revelation 4, verse 2, St. John refers to being in the Spirit when he received the inspiration to write the book of Revelation. The illustration, Luke writing his gospel, is an illumination in tempera and gold on vellum from the Bernie Gospels, begun in the 10th century A.D., with illustrations added in the 12th century, credited to the Kokinobaphos master at the Kokinobaphos Monastery, Constantinople, from manuscript Bernie 19, folio 101V, British Library, London, England. The second of three doctrines revealed in the joyful reaction to the return of the 70 begins in verse 21 with this prayer by Jesus to the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. In this short prayer, Jesus has revealed to the disciples and to those among the Pharisees who may have been within hearing distance that Jesus has confirmed the Christian doctrine that God has a plan for mankind which existed before the creation and that this plan had been kept secret until now, meaning the first century. Further, where previously the guardians of the temple represented by the Levites and Pharisees and others, who, quote, wise and prudent, had been the intermediaries. The secret has now been, quote, revealed to babes, meaning the disciples and those listening to this discourse. The illustration is a miniature illumination in inks and pigments on parchment of Christ in majesty with a chorus of angels and prophets from the Athelstan Psalter, prepared in the region of Liège, Belgium, in 924 A.D., 
and taken to England during the reign of King Ethelstan of Wessex in England from manuscript Cotton Galba XVIII, folio 2V, British Library, London, England, which acquired it from the estate of collector Robert Cotton. According to some sources, the illumination was added to the Psalter early in the 10th century after the book was taken to England. Further, the all things which have been, quote, delivered to me by my father, including the identity of both father and son, will be revealed only to, quote, the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. The third and final revelation, a restatement of the second theme in another form, is found in the beatitude which Jesus spoke to the disciples in verse 23, informing them of the special status they now enjoy, a privilege coveted by kings and prophets, but now known by the humble. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. We know from St. John's Gospel that it was only after the, the trial, crucifixion, death, and resurrection that the disciples truly understood all this. The next unique account in St. Luke's Gospel is the brief five-verse encounter in an unnamed village, probably Bethany, with a woman named Martha who had a sister named Mary, discussed in Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Traditional teaching is that Martha and Mary are the sisters of Lazarus of Bethany, whom Jesus raised from the dead in John 11, 1 to 45. According to the account, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to his words, while Martha prepared his food, and presumably food for the disciples. The illustration is an engraving by Gustave Doré from his Grand Bible du Tours of 1866 A.D., published in England in the same year, and they are known as Doré's English Bible. Together, they are commonly referred to as Doré's Illustrated Bible. In the dialogue in verses 40b to 42, Martha complained to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus replied, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. From the many early church interpreters of Jesus' reply, I have selected Ambrose of Milan, whose most famous pupil was St. Augustine or Augustine in the English tradition of St. Ambrose cast it in light of the theologian's argument over faith versus works. He observed that, quote, virtue does not have a single form, unquote. And I quote this from the text of his commentary in the reference book, Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture. The meaning is that while there is a place for both sisters' activities, Martha's being works, Mary's devotion is listening to God's word and is of greater value, being of more long-lasting importance than serving his immediate need for sustenance. 
other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode, from other episodes in this Bible study series, New Testament Gospel, the parable of the Good Samaritan is discussed in episode 17, St. John's account of Jesus' I am the bread of life declaration in episode 30 and episode 31, and of the miraculous raising of Lazarus in episode 38. From the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, the 1928 BCP Saints, in addition to several of the names mentioned in the list of the 70, St. John is the focus of episode 4, St. Luke of episode 15. From the second series, St. Ambrose of Milan is the focus of episode 4, and Archbishop Thomas Cranmer with two other English martyrs is the focus of episode 28. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, from the Gospel of Luke Annotated and Illustrated, from Chapter 10 are events related to the sending and return of the Seventy and the unique visit of Jesus to the house of Mary and Martha of Bethany. The illustration from page 113 is He Sent Them Out Two by Two, a late 19th century watercolor by James Tissot. From Layman's Lexicon, where words and phrases of interest are ascension, Beatitudes, Church, Creation, Fear of the Lord, Hades, Kingdom, and Peace. From Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective, the many uses of the Beatitude, Blessed is, Blessed are, Blessed be, and other variations in the Psalms is discussed in Part 3, pages 33 to 62. From Occasional Services for Anglican Worship, an office for Ascension Day, including the music and all seven verses of the Venerable Bede's Ascension Day hymn, A Hymn of Glory Let Us Sing, is, in, is printed in the St. Chrysostom Hymnal on pages 113 to 125. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah's virgin birth prophecy and other statements with illustrations is discussed in Part 2, Chapter 1, pages 33 to 20, with a text box, Isaiah and Christian Liturgy, on page 16. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, using links at the top and the bottom of the home page. Entries usually include an illustration from the current topic. The direct URL address for the blog which you can copy and enter into your uh, browser, is www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog, B-L-O-G, spelled in lowercase letters only. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column after and after entering your email address, you can receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 21. Next time in episode 22, I will continue this discussion of unique content in the Gospel of St. Luke, beginning with St. Luke's account of Jesus speaking about spiritual life. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.